Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have a very special guest, Tiffany Xingyu Wang, who is a venture partner at Tribe, the world's first government-backed blockchain accelerator out of Singapore, as well as a personal investor who's worked in over four continents. Tiffany will be talking a lot about the partnership between the public sector and the private sector. So on this week's tech news, the first story isn't really a tech news story, but it is related to Star Wars, so I think it counts. If you've gone to Disneyland and been to the new Galaxy Edge exhibit, apparently the memorabilia you can buy there, such as a thermal nuclear detonator Coke or Sprite, uh, that is causing concern with the TSA and they won't allow you to have it on a checked baggage or carry-on baggage because it looks too much like a real bomb. In what is perhaps a very impressive coordinated malware attack, 23 Texas cities were targeted at one time for ransomware. And investigators haven't yet determined the origin of the attacks, but it all happened two Fridays ago. And the Texas Department of Information Resources were overwhelmed and have no idea what had happened from what's called a single threat actor. Xbox Live is down as of the recording of this show. And so if your kids are freaking out, they should be studying anyway. Time to do their homework. But seriously, this is the second major outage in Xbox this year. And for a cloud services company, which would be Microsoft, that's a big deal. In a truly geeky story, if you've been following iPhone since it began like I have, there's something called a jailbreak. So in early generations of iPhones, you would jailbreak your phone in order to get root, which means direct access to the phone and do all kinds of fun things like applications that Apple doesn't necessarily want you to use. Well, also what that enables is a lot of malicious software if you don't know what you're doing and people being able to hack your phone. Apple actually spent a lot of time over the next iterations of iPhone to not allow that to happen. And in a weird twist of fate, Apple accidentally reintroduced it in their most recent iOS 12.3, and that was reported to them by one of these white hat hackers we've talked about on many shows, somebody who's a good person trying to uncover vulnerabilities so that these major companies like Apple will solve them ahead of time. So in this case, White Hat Hacker reported it, Apple has patched it in 12.4. So if you're in between 12.3 and 12.4, it's on you, but you can try to jailbreak your phone again. And that's the tech news of the week. So welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Once again, I have Tiffany Xingyu Wang, venture partner at Tribe, who's my special guest. She'll be talking a lot about the public and private partnership that she's worked on in her career on over four continents. Tiffany, thanks for being here. How did you get your start in your career? Thank you, Keith. I started uh, my career back in Paris. So I was an investment banker. So really put capital to use for all the oil and gas and the metals mining projects um, in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, then I moved to Singapore when the renewable energy sectors took off. 
So I went、uh, back to Singapore. Really advised all the local governments、um, to design the energy policies and tariffs so that this industry can take off in that region. So、uh, really, a role of a financial advisor for governments and investor in the renewable energy space. I think a lot of、um, insights today、um, I would share. Uh, really uh, started from there. The perspectives about how those emerging markets provide such a huge business opportunity for the next decade、um, or beyond, as well as how actually efficient the governments are when they decided to help and grow a completely new industry. Well, that's what I think is really interesting. Is how does someone? Because I believe you went to Wharton. Yeah. So after you graduated from Wharton, you ended up in Paris, and then you.、Uh, that was、um, after Wharton. I stayed in the U.S. Paris, Africa, and、uh, Asia. Tom、uh, was before、uh, before Wharton. Actually, the, the the education was a way for me to actually get the the ticket and the visa to come to the U.S. I can share more why I came here, but but yeah, the the U.S. Tom after Wharton, I stayed in the U.S. Okay, but that's the really interesting part, right? Because you haven't been around for decades and decades.、Mm-hmm. So, already thinking after school, after being in the U.S. and then moving to Paris and working in Sub-Saharan Africa and, and Singapore,、um, there are people with a thirty and forty-year careers who've never done that. So, the, the question would be, how does one get into that, and how does one get hooked into doing that kind of work? Oh yeah, so.、Um So I think really just the spirit of venturing into something completely new,、um, and then do do your very、uh, best wherever you are. So、we'll、take take an example. So I I grew up in in China, so I was actually in、uh, diplomacy and politics, and then that was actually、um, the moment that was like over ten you know twelve years ago. Um, so that was actually the very beginning. You know, today we talk about this whole、um, Asia Africa corridor so much, but back then nobody really talked about it. But being、uh, being in the space about geopolitics, understanding about the, the international commerce, I, I did、uh, collect the signals. Well, that corridor will become one of the major economic、um, uh, hub on its own. The corridor itself. Uh, to the global economy, coming back to、uh, the spirit of stepping out of the comfort zone, saying, "Hey, you know,、um, knowing that going to happen, knowing there is a huge business opportunity, am I willing to learn new things,、mm-hmm. um, venture into the、um, region of opportunity, and figure out from there?" Right. So, so that's when I、um, actually came to the U.S. first. When I first Um, when I was still actually、um, in school, and then when I came to the U.S., the political school I was、uh, doing a very short program、uh, at told me actually the the center of knowledge about、um, Sub-Saharan Africa is actually you know、um, concentrated in in Europe, in France because、mm. of you know the whole history. So so I said, why not I just like find the best、uh, best. School, the political school. I didn't even speak French back then, <laughs> right? So, so I decided to go there.、Um, then, when I graduated from that school,、um, I decided to to really work、um, in the space where it's going to shape this corridor. So, my first my first really two years were really just 
get into almost every single deal you could see back then、um, about the oil and gas metals mining projects from Europe actually into Africa. So by that you can understand、uh, how the things were done and what is the right approach. Because remember, you know, then then when you look at The corridor between Asia and Africa, you realize there were things were not really done right,、yeah. right? There, there were there were a lot of opportunities because things were not done. When I say right, one is of course the productivity is not there, efficiency is not there.、Um, there there was no best practice there,、um, and that's where I want to put you on pause. Yeah. So I think that's what we're going to get into the next segment when we talk about cross border. Yeah.、Uh, once again, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. I'm joined with a very special guest, my friend Tiffany Xinyu Wang, of a venture partner of the Tribe Accelerator and a personal investor. And she's talking about her really rich experience in working in over six countries around the world and、um, what she's doing now. So don't go away. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at. SBI.biz, and we'll be right back. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. For questions or comments on today's program, call one eight 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 two eight seventy eight forty six. That's eight 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 two eight S V I N. Now back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Once again, I'm joined with my friend Tiffany Xinyu Wang, who is the venture partner of Tribe. Tribe is the world's first government-backed blockchain accelerator. Welcome back, Tiffany. Thank you, Keith. So, Tiffany, I think a really interesting question because in the first segment we talked about your. Career, how you've worked in over six countries, and all the things that you're passionate about. Why did you accept a role with a Singaporean government, basically an Asian country, and their role with the tribe, the world's first government-backed blockchain accelerator? As I mentioned, I I do believe the、uh, in the huge opportunity Asian markets for the future for the next decade. I expect to see unicorns out of that market, and we have seen the signals.、Um, and the fundamental、um, investment thesis I I have is the technification of services verticals in, in in those markets. Very naturally for me to, to be in San Francisco,、uh, to have the direct access to the best technology builders in Silicon Valley, as well as the access. Uh, to leverage the relationships that I've accumulated with the local governments, corporations,、um, to really match make、uh, the technology with the the markets, to to really drive some impact in, in that huge market to come. So, so that's the basic rationale for me: the, the investment thesis and the true belief in the market,、um, and the unique advantage I I might offer to both sides of the world. Thanks, Stephanie. So then, I want to follow up on a couple things. Which countries comprise the ASEAN market? We usually talk about ASEAN six. So that is、um, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, Vietnam, Philippines, and Indonesia. So they they add up to six hundred twenty million ish population, which is huge if you think about it, right? And then and then the GDP is about two point、uh, nine trillion. 
dollars, and which is more important is the growth. I think over decades, I would say, like yeah, the the past two decades, I would say, consistent you know growth. I think average about five percent. So those things add together really make me think. It is a huge market.、Mm-hmm. We can talk more about. You know, I often、uh, heard people talk about、um, Asian markets in a way that it is. It felt in a way that each market is too small, and we have to put them together. But I, I truly believe they can be considered as one single market for many other reasons. I'm happy to share. So why would we put those markets together? They have different cultures. All these markets, they share common business problems, and then the big industries we've seen being disrupted. Transport, right? Grab is、uh, one of the big, you know, success、uh, story. And what is Grab? Grab is a great example that it is、uh, a single company out of Malaysia, really successful across the region in Asia,、uh, solved the transport problem、uh, for the whole region. Thanks, Tiffany, for. Talking about how the countries in ASEAN got together and the opportunities that exist, why do you think now is the right time for investment in this region? Yeah, so remember, you know, in the beginning, I'm a believer in getting signals, kind of mitigate the risks for investment. Being those markets over years. I did understand it was a huge market. So we talk about those、um, stats, right? Nine percent of the global population. But there is also stats showing that you know by 2050, the GDP、um, contribution from that region will match the population contribution to the world, which is not the case right now. And so you expect a huge growth、um, of that market as to the GDP contribution.、Um, but also, I think it is if you if you notice. How the consumers in those those countries in that region use the internet and the mobile? That is another signal for me. The, the penetration rate of internet in actually that region is higher than China,、mm-hmm. right?、It's、over I think fifty six percent, and ninety percent of them are actually mobile first. By far, youth population, like twelve to thirty years old, they really spend tons of time, like four point five hours, you know,、um, per day,、um, just online, right? If 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 you see a market which is going to grow in the world with with higher and higher GDP contribution, backed by the continuing、um, GDP growth rate, that that only says a huge market. That doesn't explain why it is the time. Then, but you see, actually, each component in the, each individual does use the, the the mobile, the internet, in such a high penetration rate, and you do know that digitalization is coming. And today, today, and you see the level today. The I think the U.S. has a digitalization contribution to the GDP about thirty-five percent,、mm-hmm. and China about sixteen percent, and then there is seven percent, right? With that such a high penetration rate and such a low digitalization of the economy, you know that that's meant to happen very soon. Those are really kind of micro signals that, by first principle analysis, you know that's meant to happen. But you know, empirically, but also、um, good signal that if you do kind of market research about the. The liquidity in that market—that's another good signal for me to say it's a good timing. I remember, you know, five years ago when I was there and all my friends doing angel investments in the in the pre-seed stage in those companies. The biggest issue is there's no cash continuity, right? If you go into pre-seed and seed, we're the Series A and Series B, right? You have Temasek, GIC, those big sovereign funds. 
in way later stage, there is actually bed of death of investment, right? But now, if you if now if you see、uh, what's going on over there, each stage you really have the VC funds to to really sustain the cash continuity, and you also really see、uh, some success stories disrupting a market, a whole vertical market, and become actually the Series D above. Company so fast, way faster than any other、uh, countries, you know, in the history, and and then you know this is the budgeting time for you to go because market is big, liquidity is there, you know, companies are taking shape,、um, and if you want、um, to 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 bet、uh, your next investments and. Going with、um, a growing market and opportunity that, that's there, right here in the U.S. or in China, you still have huge opportunities. But the growth rates and the corridor. Remember, I talk、yeah. about when I bet in the Asia Africa corridor. What I bet on is capture signal, knowing it's coming. And my experience, when you are on the right train, that take you. To the right place faster than than any other train because the the card is growing and this market is the right time to go in because it's going to grow very fast.、Uh, yeah, I think those are great points, and I wanted to reiterate a comment you just made, which is、uh, you know, Asian other regions versus the U.S. and Western markets at the seed and Series A stage it might be very small, but they catch up at later stages, and so it's actually. Could be a very good investment opportunity for the the right technologies that you're interested in. Yeah, that's absolutely right. We mentioned the arbitrage point that you know we find a commonality of signals that it's the right、uh, time to go. But the benefit、um, is a global investor. You see, the edge that we have is that you you notice because it's coming, you still see such a way lower valuation in those markets、uh, in. In seed and Series A, and then and then, but you also noticed with some examples I mentioned, when those companies reach to Series B and C, the valuation become the same as in the U.S.、Mm-hmm. So you really want to catch the train now to get good valuation now in Southeast Asia, and then they have a huge chance to grow into Series B and Series C rather fast. Then the valuation will be on par with the the companies here. So that arbitrage opportunity is something absolutely right to signal it's the right time to go. Well, thank you. So once again, I am joined with Tiffany Xinyuang, venture partner at Tribe and personal investor. Lots of global experience, and we're talking about not only her experience but opportunities she sees in the markets. Any questions or comments about today's show? You can email us at info at svnupis, and we'll be right back. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host Keith Koo. On today's show, I have special guest Tiffany Xingyu Wang, who is a venture partner at Tribe, the world's first government-backed blockchain accelerator, as well as a personal investor. She'll be talking about the relationship between the private sector and the public sector, also known as the public-private partnership. <laughs> 
On this week's Cyber Tip, I'm going to talk about a recent incident with Imperva. It's actually one of my pet peeves. So Imperva is a security firm. They specialize in a number of products. One is called the Cloud Web Application Firewall. In layman's terms, that is something that companies use, especially banks, to protect their applications that they interact with you, their customers. And in this case, they disclose that their secure certificates as well as API keys that are provided to their customers were exposed. They didn't say how it was exposed. They didn't say why it was exposed. But they did say that uh, there was that incident. And if you had a product registered with them through September of 2017, you were likely one of the victims. Why this is really concerning is that this is a security company and they are supposed to be the best at it. And you heard me many times in my soapbox that even the best companies in the world don't get this right. So it's always incumbent on you, whether you are got technical knowledge or whether you rely on somebody else and you basically buy that knowledge from a vendor, that you absolutely know how they're using your data and how they're protecting it. And if you don't know it, you should get the resources or consultants or what have you to make sure that you're secure. And as long as you don't understand why you're using the vendors that you're using, you will always be at risk. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. So in this segment, Tiffany Wong is going to be talking about the interrelationship between the public sector and the private sector in projects such as infrastructure, building roads, and how a country like Singapore is actually quite good at it. And so Tiffany's been doing this in over four continents in her career. So let's listen to what she has to say. I, I really care about um, infrastructure projects for the first chapter of my career. You know, to be more precise, is giving electricity school uh, road to people in the frontier markets right, across Africa and Southeast Asia. And to do that, you have actually to have uh, PPP, the public-private partnerships, um, which actually uh, mean where governments want to build a road or school or um, drill oil and gas off the ground, and then they leverage private sector expertise and money to do that with them. So they will they will give actually the project and mm-hmm. you have a bit going on. Private sector players will come in, get a project, but they are also guaranteed by the offtake agreement how much they will be paid um, in the future. So it's really bring those people during the construction phase and then get paid during operation Face. So I really love the novel cause, be able to do the very minimum I can um, to give this kind of access to power, to education, to the people in those markets and the people who happens to be the way to go. Now, when I came to the U.S., technologies I have been super interested in make me think that because those are deep tech, you, you realize you need a lot of grants and like a research funding mm-hmm. uh, way before that can be commercialized. Um, and then you observe a lot of these technologies would die if there is a value of death of funding. So very naturally, you observe um, some of these technologies are backed by the government grants, but not all of them. And, and of course, they are mainly you know, from the U.S. funding. And it makes me think, you know, if, if those companies can get funding from the government here, from the government, uh, from the government here, but also I can help them to find customers, right? You know, can we actually find 
the, the customers for those technologies um, as early as possible to support their growth and to get through the, the, the value of death. Um, that will be actually a meaningful thing to do because I have the access to those big corporations and maybe um, to other governments who can help um, you know, also give the, 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 the investment in early stage. Um, and then so, so I came to think, why, why wouldn't I to apply the same logic of the PPP that I know very well about um, in the past to the deep tech adoption. Um, it's no longer construction plus operation, but really bring the um, government into the private sector uh, during the design phase, um, help them go through the value of death through investment, network for customers, so that they have a higher chance of survival um, to grow. So, 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 so that's kind of the, the, the reason why I really um, care about the PPP, um, you know, both for the, um, the first chapter of my career and what I'm doing right now. The question I would have, though, is when I think about anywhere in the world, you think about a construction project, mm-hmm. a road, that's a physical piece of infrastructure yeah. that goes by. And when you talk about deep technology, and I'll bring up an example in a second, it's almost esoteric in that it's not always tangible. Software is intangible. Yeah. So how do you then convince the government that it's something they should be investing in? I mean, they, they yeah. say they have a, a use case for a problem statement. Yeah, yeah, completely. I think, you know, um, my experience with, um, you know, governments um, in, in Asia, in Southeast Asia particularly, um, they're actually very efficient as to making policies so that certain industries uh, are supported, certain ecosystems are supported, right? Example was I was advising Malaysian government to design the renewable, the solar tariff in a way that when they attract a private sector player to build a solar farm, the private sector investor get a certain ROI they mm-hmm. want based on the tariff the government uh, is willing to issue. So the calculation was, okay, a private sector investor want, uh, wants that ROI and let's design the tariff in such way that they are willing to come to play, right? So, so we have the direct conversation with the government. In other words, the government finds me as a is a private sector person to advise them to make a national policy um, to help build a solar sector. So, so my experience with those governments and another reason why I really care about the PPP for tech adoption is that I truly believe with that efficient iteration of making policies, attracting private uh, sectors, build off project, uh, projects, and make actually the economic value to both the governments, um, the national goods, and the private sectors is something proved to work. In the deep tax space, you, certain countries will de- define which would be the strategic sectors to, to go in, right? Yeah, and I have a perfect example of this. So I've had on my show a couple times Aeronite out of Florida, which is a drone as a service company. And uh, we didn't get too into it, but their first investor is um, from a publicly traded South Korean entity. And the reason why is uh, the history of drones around the world 
is that many governments, for obvious reasons, have wanted to adopt drone technology, either in the hardware or in the service. But what has happened is most countries who adopted it have had um, minor to major incidents, almost death. Like, there's a story about in Canada, uh, I don't know if I should be talking about it, but a drone dropped, a, a military drone or a government drone dropped on a person, and then there's a moratorium. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. is seen as the thought leader in not just drone technology, but the regulations around drone technology. Absolutely. And so when you say, why would a South Korean company invest in an American drone as a service company? It's because it's much more efficient to say, hey, we figured it out, or we figured out a lot of the operational processes and controls needed to fly commercial drones and then being able to adopt that and putting it in these other um, government-backed locations. Yeah, often two-folded. The government provides uh, not only actually uh, certain investments, you know, through sovereign funds or through the government grants, but also really provide such regulation support, you know, for certain companies in the industries intend to strategize about to grow. Blockchain is a typical example in Singapore, um, but you really see such example across the region. Each of these um, six countries have their own um, economic board to design the policy to support new industries and coming with uh, these entities they also have the sovereign fund to, to back that up. With such a strong public engines, I feel more assured that this PPP thesis for tech adoption can work in those countries. But of course, we cannot be naive with it. It's not any company, right? You know, the company that is an investor, we want to support and help link to the governments should be in the verticals that the government are willing to support. And being the bridge of both sides, telling the government to make the policy so that truly help the economic growth of the startups, uh, but also being the advisor to the startups to really productize um, their business in a way that is not only a research project. You know, take an example, you know, the, the next generation transistors company, it could be in Horizon 3, a quantum computing company, right. right? Which is super strategic. However, the Horizon 1 can be simply the chip which increases memory and a computing power to be adopted right now with actually the connection from the government to a big corporation which can use right now. So how you how you become an investor to be the bridge helping both governments and the startups in this under this whole PPP thesis is what I'm truly really passionate about. And Tiffany, I mean, I think that is going to have to be another show. <laughs> so I thank you for your time on being on today's regular program. Tiffany Xing Wang, who is the venture partner at Tribe, the Singaporean-backed blockchain accelerator and a personal investor uh but don't go away because in the pivot we're going to be talking about what tiffany sees is coming on the horizon so if you have any questions or comments about what we talked about today cross-border business the public-private partnership or just international investing give us 
an email at info at svnupbiz. And we'll be right back. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Insiders, welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Once again, I'm joined with my friend Tiffany Xinyu Wang, who is a venture partner at Tribe the world's first government-backed blockchain accelerator out of Singapore. Also, she's a personal investor. Regarding the Tribe Accelerator, we had started talking about if governments can adopt methodologies such as the Lean Startup Method. So we're about to get into that. So Tiffany, welcome back. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I'm super passionate about this concept of applying the Lean Startup methodology to to governments. We talk a lot about that here for the companies. The reason why I brought that up is if you look at Singapore governments, you know, I was joking with a friend of mine, the only resource which is free in Singapore is the air. Right. They import water, you know, food, electricity. So they are actually lacking the resources. But look how the country has built out such a strong economy. And it made me think that they actually adopted this whole idea of being lean. What that means is if a government can be very careful with the resources they have, investments they have, the treasury money they have yeah. to, to deploy and truly being strategic about which industry to grow that will help the, the, the national economy and doing this whole iteration of the problem solution um, really find the most efficient way to go to market in the sense that how they actually gather the private sector players into the space they want actually build out and to be really truly efficient with the resources they have and, and then doing the iteration once and once and once again. So why that's even important to all of us, right? Because we, we have talked about a cross-border. You know, for me, one thing I really care about is if I go to markets, I want to invest in a technology which, um, which I believe will dominate um, a vertical. What I want to know is, is that vertical going to grow and how much protection or risk that this company is uh, taking. All the answers to this kind of questions are actually dependent on how lean and how efficient the government is to make policy uh, to help the startups I'm investing or the vertical um, I'm investing. Being lean as a government becomes actually a political uh, and economic assessment I'm doing when I'm looking at a startup. So that's why I say, you know, for the governments, of course, um, I think it's the right way to, to go, especially for those um, markets we, we talked throughout the show. For an investor, um, it's very important to use whatever matrix you use on the startup to see if they're lean enough. You should actually look at the governments to see if they're doing a good job, um, you know, historically. It doesn't necessarily need to be the vertical you have been in. I've looked at the battery, the solar spaces as kind of the historical 
track record of how governments deal with those industries and grow those industries is a signal if that's the right government for me to go into for a new vertical that the government is planning to develop and planning to invest in. When you're anchored in mature societies, mature governments, yes. there's a lot of bureaucracy and there's a lot of quote-unquote red tape. Yeah. And so how do you convince those who've never worked in these other regions of the world where they are modern societies, but they don't have the same lengthy processes, so they're able to iterate very mm-hmm. fast. How do you convince them that's the truth? You know, personally, I was in the meeting with the ministry talking about the tariffs, and it was deployed within a year, and which affects all these sort of projects moving forward. I don't expect that to happen in other countries. And because we can bring this up, because you're an expert in this area for blockchain. Uh, Look at Singapore, right? Yeah, exactly. But who and the government backs uh, accelerator, and then give them the resources, not only the money, as I mentioned, but also the network for them to connect the startups with potential their adopters, the big corporations. This is happening as any business environment go here. But over there, it is a, is a joint conversation with the government and the private sectors. It's almost a norm right. that you involve the government in the conversation, or it is a norm to involve the private sectors into the policy making. So those are the proofs. And if you ask me any other things you can do to convince yourself, I would say that's why I started this whole talk talking about why global traveling and really I always say like be a traveler, don't be a tourist. Yeah. Right. You know. You know. You can always go into those countries and leave as who you are, but you can also go into those markets, observe. I love. Doing people watching a new country, right? Really talk with your local team if you have one, or the the local funds, the local companies. And the question is not about how to deploy your your technology, or deploy your method of investment, or criteria of selection. The question should be what has really worked there as investment approach. What has really worked there as the business growth. And then, Southeast Asia doesn't lack the diaspora of the people who walk the walk. Those are the real founders who understand the local dynamics way better than you. So find those people, talk with them, and have a sense and make your opinion、uh, on your own. My experience so far is、um, it is a space where there is a huge positive edge of the close linkage between. The private players and the the public sectors. All right. Well, Tiffany, we're out of time, but thanks again for being on the show. Thank you.、All. So once again, I've been joined by Tiffany Xinyuang, who is a venture partner at Tribe, the world's first government black blockchain accelerator out of Singapore, and a personal investor.、Uh, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll see you next week. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. 
For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN. 